The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Okay, we are winning. So I just, oh, please be seated. <laughs> you know, I forget that this is Africa and you all are so obedient that you will not sit down until you're released to sit down. Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm like, why are they still standing up? Please be seated. <laughs> so I just, as Tafara said, we met back in what, 2009? And I just want to publicly tell you all how absolutely proud I am of both of you and you know Tafara says I'm the mother of the ministry which I still sometimes try and wrap my brain around because I don't feel like the mother of the ministry but I have been here since the beginning and I have seen the growth and if I'm the mother of the ministry one of the, the best jobs about being a mother is you get to embarrass your children right <laughs> And so I just want to embarrass them just, just a little teeny bit because seeing the growth of these two, when I met Pastor Chipo, she didn't even know what a pastor was. She was like, pastor, what's a pastor? Then she found out and then she didn't want to marry a pastor. So she's ready to get rid of Tavar. Like, oh, no, 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 I don't want to do this. And then Pastor Tafara, he was like, I don't know if I want to be a full-time pastor because he's working and kind of doing his thing and he's got one foot in what God has called him to and the other foot still in his career. And it's like, well, I'm just kind of doing this as I'm needed. And now to see what can happen when two people give God their unqualified yes. And unqualified matters. Because we can give God our yes with strings attached. God, I'll do it if. I'll do it when. You know, kind of like a little negotiation situation. But that unqualified yes, this is, guys, I trust you, and I'm going to step out on faith, and I'm going to do this and let you have your way. And to see now two people giving God their unqualified yes, and now look at what has become of this. I mean, you are sitting here in this nice room. You had Loiso come and bless you with a song, all because they gave God their unqualified yes. So I love you. I am so proud of you, and I am expecting what God is going to do because I believe with all my heart that the best is yet to come and that he's going to enlarge your territory and y'all just celebrate him because let me tell you, I was in a service in Atlanta where they were and they are so well received. People love them. They love your pastors because they know that they're real. They are real people who really love God. So thank you all. I love you guys so much. So as you can see, as evidence that Louisa had to come up here and give a song, Pastor Tafar is very good about throwing people under the bus. 
And I was just kind of minding my business when he said, ah, oh, you can preach on Sunday. I was like, okay. Maybe you could have told me that before I left Atlanta. <laughs> and I'd like to tell you that I said, okay, well, let me pray about it and see what God has. So yesterday after the conference, I was exhausted. Jet lag was finally kind of catching up with me. And Pastor Jafar got me some food and I went to sleep. I was asleep probably by half six in the evening. And I woke up about 10, 10.30 and I said, oh, let me see what the Lord has. So around midnight, I was praying and tarrying over this word late in the midnight hour. I'd like you to believe that I'd been up all night doing it, but I'd been asleep. And then I was like, oh, let's see what God has for the, for the people. <laughs> and here's what he gave me because yesterday we had designer lives. Ladies, did we not have a blast? We had a blast at designer life. And one of the things that came out of that was Pastor Mimi, she's not here right now, but Pastor Mimi got us all fired up because she showed a clip of The Karate Kid. Has anybody ever seen the movie The Karate Kid? Okay. This is the new Karate Kid. I had not seen it actually. This is the one with the little black boy and he gets moved to China and he's like being bullied, he's a target and he wants to learn how to fight. And it occurred to me when I was praying that as Christians, we have the word of God, but we don't apply it in that practical way so that we can fight to win. Because there's so many of us that go through battles, but how do you really fight? Because we don't really understand the dynamics on a practical level of a battle. And David is probably the best example from that. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to start at verse 26. I'm going to read quite a bit because I really want to set it up and really help you all to see this. And I'm reading from the New King James Version. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. And I'm going to drop down to verse 32. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to the armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. 
And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in his shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And so as we look at this text, I started thinking about what are just kind of those, those things that happen as we're going through the battle. And the first question we tend to ask ourselves is, what is an enemy? Just what is an enemy? An enemy is an opponent. It's anything in opposition to the things of God. An enemy brings your weakness alive. An enemy is speaking life into your area of struggle and defying the living God in your life. The next question we ask ourselves is, why me? Why me? And you all are probably too holy, so I'll use myself as an example, but you can go through a battle and you can just have a spiritual temper tantrum, just a whole Holy Ghost meltdown. Lord, why me? Why am I going through this? You know, you can even start calling God to account. And, and reminding him of all you've already sacrificed and done on his behalf, and that maybe somehow you should be relieved from this battle. Lord, I served. Lord, I did this. Lord, I gave. I did. Really? Why am I going through this? Why me? Listen, it is not personal. Satan hates all of us. He hates all of us. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, you kind of got a target. It said, now you're an enemy of the world. You're an enemy of Satan, right? And when you look at Matthew, look at Matthew 3.17, when Jesus is getting baptized and he comes up out of the water and it says, suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And at that point, Jesus hadn't done anything. There were no miracles. He hadn't done anything for, for God to say he was well pleased. But God's love was positional. It was because of who Jesus is, not because of what he has done. And that's how you need to see it, that what you're going through, it's not because of anything you've done. It's because of how much God loves you. Right? And let's face it, the enemy, it's just part of, it's just part of life. It's part of the living experience. Jesus had an enemy. Jesus had Judas. Right? And I need you to understand, and we talked about this yesterday, um, during the women's conference because sometimes as Christians we get saved and get born again and we think that everything is supposed to be easy but it's not supposed to be easy God promised you possible and just because it's difficult 
just because there's opposition does not mean you miss God. And it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean it's not God. Right? Because our feelings will tell us, oh, well, this must not be God. No. And so when you're going through the battle, one of the next questions you may ask yourself is, what does he even want? Like, why is he coming after me like this? What does he want? John 10 and 10 tells us. It's almost like um, when you wonder what, what he wants. Any mothers in the room? You know how relentless children are when they want you? And they can call, they can call your name a hundred times and it won't even phase them. Mom. Mom, mommy, 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 mommy. That's what the enemy feels like. Like he just like he just went through one battle and here he comes again. It's like, what as a mother sometimes, if we're honest, ladies, sometimes you just want to turn around and say, My darling, what do you want? That's what we want to say to the enemy. What does he want? John 10 and 10 tells us he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to steal your heart. Because if you get your heart, then you don't have the courage to keep fighting. He wants to come and steal your heart. That's why the Bible says, guard your heart. Guard your heart, because out of it, all the issues of life are flowing. And we have to be so careful when we guard our heart. Some of you have fought a battle for so long, and what's keeping you from winning is the unforgiveness and bitterness you're holding in your heart. That God is saying, let it go. That you can forgive. Guard your heart. Don't give the enemy that kind of toehold into your life, because that's what he wants. He wants your heart. That's where your courage is coming from to fight. He wants to kill your joy. Why does he want your joy? Because Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If he can get your strength, you don't even have the strength to fight. He wants your strength. And what else does he want to do? He wants to kill your, he wants to kill your purpose. He wants to kill your purpose. He wants to destroy purpose. But here's the good news. The enemy does not have the power to destroy the purposes and the amazing plan God has for you. So what he does is he distracts you so that you'll self-destruct the plans yourself. You'll abort the mission. You'll give up. You'll self-sabotage yourself. And so the distraction and the doubt, that's nothing but the enemy coming against the purposes and the plans that God has. Because here's what's so interesting. We are Christians, born again, Holy Spirit filled, and the enemy knows even, has a, is more convinced of the amazing plan God has for our lives than we are. Because he's willing to fight you and distract you to keep you from it. And then we fold like cheap luggage. just collapse all the way in, right? The next question that you ask when you're going through is, what can I learn? What can I learn? Because if you look at the Bible, every divine battle has a benefit. 
because giants are actually an opportunity. There's a greater anointing, your territory is being enlarged, like divine battles, there's spoils to come out of it. Divine battles have a benefit. If there is no benefit, then you need to have a serious talk with yourself and say, why am I fighting this battle? Because David, David was bold enough. David was like, okay, okay, listen. What am I going to get if I go deal with this giant? Because I'm not taking this giant on for nothing. A brother need to get something out of this. And he asked. And so you need to ask, okay, what am I getting out of this? Because too many of us, there are people sitting in this room, you are fighting and fighting. You are growing weary because you're fighting the wrong battle. It's not even a battle that God, God didn't even assign or call you to that. And then there's no, nothing at the, end of the, at the end of the road. No, no. Fight the right battle. And then David says, what, what happens if I kill this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, for a long time, I used to wrestle with this and think this was just some religious biblical thing, like uncircumcised Philistine. Like, I don't, have, I don't know any uncircumcised Philistines. But when you study that out, <laughs> maybe you do, I don't. <laughs> but when you study it out, an uncircumcised Philistine, it just means it's not part of the covenant promise. That it's just something that's not a part of what God has promised you. And so we all have uncircumcised Philistines in our life. Some of you came to church with your uncircumcised Philistine. And don't look at them. Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at them. Some of you are going home to your uncircumcised Philistine. You can throw me under the bus and say, you know what? There was some American in church. I don't remember her name, but she said, in the name of Jesus, this is not my covenant promise, and I am calling you to order right now. Some of you have bank accounts that are uncircumcised Philistines that you need to start speaking life over and saying, absolutely not. This is not what God promised. Some of you have a boss that's an uncircumcised Philistine. Some of you have children that are uncircumcised Philistines. I had an uncircumcised Philistine, but I called that joker to order. I said, absolutely not. <laughs> Kyle was an uncircumcised Philistine. He, uh, he graduated from an amazing university, had gone to private Christian school all his life, and everything just handed to him. And he graduates from university and he has a degree, actually it's a double major, one is in biomedical engineering and one is in robotics. He got offered a job paying him 150,000 US dollars, right out of university. He looks at Brady and I and he says, I don't know, I mean who just, who just takes a job and settles for just a job when there's like just passion and purpose in life? And Brady and I looked at each other. We said, 
The people we know that take 150,000 jobs are the people who like a roof over their head and food on their table. Those are the people we know that take jobs like that. What are you thinking? He wasn't. So the uncircumcised Philistine, <laughs> he wasn't thinking. So the uncircumcised Philistine with all of his 21-year-old wisdom moves to Los Angeles and he's a bartender. Now he's making drinks. And this is somebody raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian school. I was so, listen, I was so angry and I was so bitter. I told Brady, I said, I am calling Greater Atlanta Christian School and I'm telling them I want every dollar back. I want a refund because if this is what I get, if this uncircumcised Philistine is what they were teaching him all those years, this is unacceptable. And I said, I am not going to stand for this. And I went to spiritual battle and I said, the devil is a liar. The Bible says that great is my peace and prosperity of my child because he is taught of the Lord. You will come to order. You will become the man that God has for you, the man God called you to be. This is unacceptable. Fast forward a few years later after he had been one of those stupid Americans that romanticized the struggle that Pastor Tafari and I talked about. You know, Americans romanticize struggle. I don't know what that is where we think like somehow struggle is like romantic, like, oh, I'm all about the struggles. Like, that's because they've never really struggled in the true sense of struggle. So he's struggling, and I knew he was really struggling, and Brady and I had made a decision. We were not going to give him any kind of financial bailout plans, like whatever happened just happened. And, which is a mother's, you know, this is hard, but I said, nope, I'm turning this him over to the Lord. The Lord loves him more than I do, so. <laughs> here's, here, God, here's his uncircumcised Philistine. But I knew he was really struggling because I was out in L.A. I was doing a speaking event out in Los Angeles. And so I said, well, I'll take him to dinner. So we're eating dinner and I'm flying out that night. And so he's all his food like it was the last supper. And I guess he's thinking, <laughs> like, like, mom is, like mom's paying, like let me get all I can get. And I didn't eat all of my dinner. And so the waiter comes, he says, oh, would you like it to go? I said, no, no, I'm fine. Thank you. He said, yeah, we'll take that too. <laughs> he took home my leftover dinner that I didn't eat. The, he's taking the bread, he's taking everything. I said, oh, he's really struggling. <laughs> but God is faithful. And after a few years of that uncircumcised Philistine struggling, he had a prodigal moment and he came to himself. And now he is, imagine this, he is working a job. He is actually making an amazing amount of money. He is serving the Lord. He is just a really, really, really good guy. In fact, I showed a picture of him at the, at the women's conference and I said, okay, ladies, He's single, he has no children, he's 28, I said, and I'm taking applications, and the requirements are you have to love God and you have to love his mother. 
But the Bible shows us that the promise is always going to be surrounded by opposition. And so you ask yourself, what can I learn? And more importantly, who can I become? What does God want me to become in this battle? As I'm going through this, what is he trying to work out of me, in me, through me? Who am I becoming in the battle? And then you ask yourself, well, what can I do about it? What can I do about this battle? And so I want to give you a few things about just some real practical things of what you can actually do about the battle. The first thing is you can have the right armor. Have the right armor. Because when you look in the text, David said to Saul, no, this armor's not tested. This doesn't work for me. And it's interesting that we go through life and we take armor from people who've never slayed a giant. We take armor from people who have never slayed a giant. And, you know, sometimes it's your parents, sometimes it's siblings, it could be family, and they want to tell you how to slay your giant. They've never slayed a giant. They barely stepped on a grasshopper. And they want to tell you how to do it. And in this generation, in this age of, you know, YouTube and social media and TikTok, I laugh and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this because Pastor Jafar is always telling me how you have to be kind and stuff, which is why I don't know why he asked me to preach. But if I have not seen your fruit, I'm not going to trust your armor. If I have not seen any fruit. And so you have people who are broke telling you what you should do to have money. You have people are fat telling you how you should get in shape and lose weight. And you have people that are bitter and broken and don't have a healthy relationship telling you what you should do to have a great relationship. If they don't have the fruit, if they haven't slayed the giant, why are you using their armor? You need the right armor. And listen, there is good armor happening here. I, I teased Pastor I said, if I were single and living in South Africa, and if I wanted a husband and a baby, I would be here at this church. I would be serving. I'd, like, I'd be stacking chairs. I would be dusting, like whatever needed to happen. Because this is, this is an armored up church if you want a spouse or a child. <laughs> The second thing is you need the right weapon. You need the right weapon. What are you actually fighting with? Hebrews 4 tells us the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, we read that and we're like a two-edged sword. And again, if you're reading it just in its, in its context without studying it out and asking God to give you revelation, you're like, well... I'm not, I'm not carrying a sword, but you are. The two-edged sword, when you study out that word sword in the Greek, it's actually your mouth. It's your mouth. So the two-edged sword, as God said it the first time, 
You say what God says the second time. That's the second edge. That's your two-edged sword. So when you're going through the battle, you say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, God says I am more than a conqueror. God says if I can be, if God is for me, who dare come against me? That's the two-edged sword you fight with. You need the right weapon. And so you're trying to fight the enemy with your little fork. (laughs) Doing a little poke here and a little poke there and wondering why nothing is happening. You need to just get almost like that righteous indignation. That's what I got with Kyle when he was being an uncircumcised Philistine. It's like, let that righteous indignation just kind of rise up like, absolutely not. This is not what God said. This is not what God promised. The third thing is you need the right emotions because you're, you're how you start feeling some kind of way you're going through. It's like, ah, and you need the right emotion. And physiologically, this is a physiological fact. The heart is only capable of two main emotions. One is love and God is love and love produces all the fruit of the spirit, the patience, the kindness, the joy, but you know, confidence, your happiness, goodness, everything good comes out of that one main emotion of love. The second main emotion is fear. And fear is anxiety and worry and stress and depression and all the things that you don't want. And God already says he did not give us the spirit of fear. But of love and a sound mind, because love is the emotion that produces everything you need to win. First John 4 and 18 says that perfect love casts out fear. And so the posture of victory is actually love. When you recognize and you get so deep down in your spirit that God loves you so much that of course he wants you to win. And yes, he does. Amen. (laughs) So you need the right armor. You need the right weapon. You need the right emotion. And then you need the right attitude where you're not, oh, woe is me and what's going on and all of this, where you're like, oh, I don't know. You ever ask somebody how they're doing and they just give you chapter and verse of everything that's wrong and everything they're going through and, uh, and you're like, oh, why did I even ask? Because <laughs> their attitude is just so negative and so wrong about the battle. But look at the attitude that David had in the text. He said, the same God. The same God who rescued me from the lion and the bear is the same God who will deliver me. And Hebrews tells us that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. So your Goliath may have changed, but God didn't. And the same God who brought you through, who made a way, and you didn't know how things were going to work out, who rescued you, who, who dealt with your finances when you needed a breakthrough, who got you a spouse when you needed, the baby was born. Everything that you've ever prayed for that has you sitting here in this chair right now, the same God is going to bring you through this battle. In fact, I would challenge you and say that some of you, you could almost just pull your thumb out of your mouth and stop crying and take a refresher course in God's goodness and faithfulness. And you'll be just fine. 
Just take a refresher course and remind yourself, same God. Regardless of the opponent, the solution is still the same, right? And then you need a right perspective. You need to have things in perspective because sometimes we can go through the battle and we're just, you know, oh, it's so horrible. Oh, I'll never make it through and I just can't believe I'm going through. And, you know, it almost reminds me of when, when Kyle was young, he was learning how to ride a, uh, a bike, a two-wheeler. Is that what you call it here? What doesn't have the little training wheels? And so he's learning how to ride the bike and, you know, he t takes off trying to pedal and he falls and one time he falls and, I mean, he's just bawling. He's just, ah, you know, he's just, you know, spinning out because he fell and he had just like a little bitty scrape on his knee, but, you know, he was crying like, like he had just been amputated or something. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, come on, big boy, you're fine. Get back on this bike. And that's how God is looking at you because you're wilding out like you just fell off the bike and, oh, it's so horrible, I can't do it, I can't do it. And, you know, God just wants to say, come on, big boys and girls, get back up on the bike. You can do it. It's really not that bad. You need the right perspective. See, David saw Goliath from a kingdom perspective. He looked through the lens of the promise not how things looked in the natural, right? And he got a perspective of praise. He said, you know, David would continually break out in praise because here's what happens. Praise brings the enemy into your territory. Praise brings the enemy out of circumstance and brings him into this, where in the spirit, where you already have won, where you're already winning. And it reminded me of when, when I grew up, my father was an uh, undercover homicide detective. Yes, just like what you see in the movies. And he was undercover breaking up the mafia back when it was kind of running rampant, like the movies like The Godfather and all those that you see. When the mafia was running rampant in, in New York and in Philadelphia and in that area. And he would tell us about how you'd have these mafia gangsters and they were just horrific, horrendous people where you know, they would slash people's throats and shoot them and just do all these horrific things. And there were these you know, tough guys when they were with their gang and with the mafia, they were just tough. And then when you arrested them and brought them into law enforcement, and they're sitting there staring down the barrel of the rest of their lives in prison. That same gangster who would slash somebody's throat or shoot somebody would be scared to death. And I realized that's what happens with the enemy. When you're fighting him down here in circumstance, he's with his gang. He's feeling good about himself. He feels like he can slash throats and shoot and kill. But when you praise and you take him out of that and you bring him into the spirit where you win, that joker's scared to death of you. And so the, your praise is taking him out of his comfort zone and bringing him into the place where you already win. You're already blessed in heavenly places. 
And so I just want to encourage you, stop fighting the enemy down here in circumstance. Get the right perspective. Praise him in advance. You know, that's one thing David did. I love in Psalm 21, David is so confident where he's saying, I'm greatly rejoicing because he's given me the heart's desire and you've not withheld your request and you've gone before me and prepared the way. David is in the middle of an intense battle fighting the Syrians when he said that. And yet he's like, I'm praising and rejoicing because you have done it all, God. Faith Hill, I dare you to just be bold enough to just start believing God for your victory. Start speaking life over your victories. Just go ahead and declare your victory. You don't know what it looks like, but God does. Because one of the frustrations I have when I go to different churches and I'm kind of out and about meeting different Christians, I mean, it is so time out for playing nice and just getting played by the enemy. And we, we just play kind of patty cake with the enemy, taking sucker punches and getting knocked out. And, you know, he's just having his way. And, you know, pa- we're just passive and playing defense when as Christians, we should be on the offense. You know, you know, we're not bold. We're not on fire where we're basically like, okay, let me just try and stay out of Satan's way and just stay under the radar. I don't want to make any moves. I don't want to step out on faith. I don't want to do anything too big. If I can just stay right here, he'll leave me alone as if you can stay under the radar of Satan. That's the attitude of a loser. That is the attitude of someone who does not know their authority in Christ where you're playing small and you're not playing offense. And so it almost makes you want to ask, I love how when, when I read the Bible and I read the Bible and I hear it in my very practical, kind of straight up, direct to the point way. And I think about John 5 when there's the lame man at the pool and Jesus asked him, he said, are you are, like, dude, you have been laying here for how long? Are you earnest about getting healed? Like, do you really want to even be healed? And so that's what I want to ask you. Are you even earnest about winning the victory? Are you earnest about wanting to win? Because God says that you win. You know, we shared this uh, yesterday with the ladies that all you're really doing is walking out the history of your victory because everything with God is past tense. It's already done. You're just walking out the history of your victory. And so you've got to kind of have some stick to itness because the walls don't come down the very first time. They don't come down the first time. And as Christians, we just have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm going to stand and I am going to fight. And what God showed me when I was praying is that there is so much power in the first voice. And there are people sitting in this room right now who have heard the first voice of God. See, God is always the first voice. God is always first. He's first fruits. He said, seek him first. He is never second. The second voice is the exact opposite because the first voice is speaking to your spirit. The first voice is speaking to your faith. 
The second voice is speaking to your need for logic. You're speaking to your circumstance, speaking to your limited mindset. The first voice for, for Adam was God. The second voice was the serpent. The first voice for Peter was, come. The second voice were the winds and the waves. The first voice for Moses was God choosing him. The second voice, why me, Lord? And so there are people who are sitting in this room that you know that you know that you know that you heard the first voice, but you're being obedient to the second voice. You're being obedient to the voice that's saying you can't. You're being obedient to the voice that's giving you doubt, that's telling you where you came from or your experiences or what you've been through or the shame that you're carrying or whatever's going on in your life. You're letting that second voice be what you're obedient to. And I'm here to rebuke that second voice in the name of Jesus and challenge each and every one of you. You know you heard the first voice of God that says step out on faith, start the business, go for the promotion, make an honest woman out of that girl and marry her. You heard the first voice and you are not going to continue to listen to the second voice. Amen? Because when you hear the first voice, look at what, look at what, look at what David did in uh, 1 Samuel 30 where they've just been, uh, the camp has been plundered, you know, wives and children have been taken, you know, people have died, and everybody's just looking at David like, whoa, man, this is really, really, really bad. And David sought the Lord, and the first voice told him, pursue. The first voice was a verb, meaning you have to take action. You have to do something. And so I came all the way from Atlanta to tell you, listen to the first voice. God is saying, pursue, you shall recover it all. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I've been looking. Pastor DeVars had me nervous about that countdown clock. I've been watching that countdown clock, scared to death that I was going to go over and get in trouble. I don't know what happens. I don't know if the stage opens up and I drop down or something happens to me when the countdown clock expires. But I said, whatever happens, I'm not going to let it happen. Absolutely. Let it, let's, let's pray. Father, God, we just say thank you. Lord, we are so, so grateful. Lord, we honor you and we love you. We thank you for the power of your word, the power that you have given us, Lord. Lord, I pray that each and every person and family that is represented here, Lord, that they will be so blessed. Pastor Farr said you can either live superficially or supernaturally. And I pray right now, Lord, that everybody gets a, a righteous indignation against superficial living. 
that they would have a, a holy boldness that stirs up on the inside that just says, I am going to live by the supernatural faith and power of God so that lives can be changed, that there will be testimonies that come out of this house that are going to change families, that are going to change legacies, that are going to rewrite stories. Lord, I pray for enlarged territories, for businesses that are going to get started. Lord, I pray for healing. I sense the supernatural healing. There is somebody who is needing that supernatural healing and just needing to know that they can go on and believe God for that supernatural healing and that the report of the doctors do not accept the first report. The first report of this is the report of the doctor. You believe the report of the Lord. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for the pastors of this house, for Pastor Chipo and Tafara. Lord, you see their faithfulness. And I pray that you will continue to honor them and grow them and expand their territory like never, ever before. I pray that yesterday, yesterday was the last day everyone under the sound of my voice settled for less than what God has promised. And that for every uncircumcised Philistine in their life, that they will fight and speak victory and say, uncircumcised Philistine, enough is enough. You will bow to the name of Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you and we honor you and we are so expectant with what you're going to do with our unqualified yes. And we give you honor, we give you praise, and we give you glory. And now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless in his presence, we speak honor, glory, and dominion both now and forever. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.